Welcome back to The Basement, fellow music lovers. You are now tuned into yet another exciting adventure with us here on Chunky Glasses, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin. As usual, um, we have a pretty fantastic freaking show for you today. Uh, talking with one Robert Ellis. Uh, many of you are, are familiar with his work. Uh, I, I was not, and we'll get into that in a second. Uh, but, you know, Robert Ellis, is he started off in, in Texas. Um... Then uh, moved to Nashville for a little while, and then it was based out of there, and then based uh, now he's up in New York City. Uh, people try to peg him down. I, I think that's a that's a bad thing to do to anybody, but especially him. You know, yeah, there's there's elements of country in his music. There's also you know Americana, whatever that is. There's elements of rock and roll. There's elements of prog in the new album, uh, and uh, so you know he's he's a singular talent that is that is sort of exploring the the boundaries of whatever genre. He is, uh, he is operating in. He may be even creating his own genre called Robert Ellis Music. Uh, his his latest album, uh, Robert Ellis, just came out. Uh, in my opinion, it is one of the best albums of 2016. So if you haven't heard it, uh, stop listening to this now. Uh, because maybe you won't know what the fuck we're talking about. But go listen to that. Enjoy it. Then come back and listen to me and Robert talking. Um, and it's funny because, uh, like I said, you know, until uh, we did this uh, interview, I, I didn't know his work. And, you know, Photographs was apparently a big album. Uh, Lights from the Chemical Plant, also a big album. Uh, some stuff just doesn't hit everybody's radar. Um, I think that's why we do this show. But it, it personally, at least, it's sort of embarrassing that something this good and something this in my wheelhouse didn't. Uh, and, and essentially what happened was um, his label said, hey, here's this album of this guy. Check it out. And for whatever reason, I did. And I was like, wow, this is badass. And they said, well, he's going to be in town for a Tiny Desk concert. Would you like to talk to him uh, after the Tiny Desk concert and before he heads out of town? And the answer, a question like that is always, fuck yes. You're going to talk to people who are doing this. Uh, So he came over. uh, They all came over dressed in suits. Straight from, uh, straight from NPR headquarters, and uh, we had a, a pretty fantastic conversation about not just his music, but music in general, what he's learned in his, uh, I think, 25, 26 short years here, and uh, and then what's what's going to happen going forward. So, uh, so we're going to be talking with uh, Robert Ellis, who is, as I mentioned, going to be here on Thursday at the Hamilton. Uh, so this is a little primer for you, and uh, we're going to be playing a track for you at the end of this, uh, Mary Jo Matea, uh, a musician about town. A couple other bands she's in other than her solo band, but we've got a track from her latest solo LP. Uh, so that is what we're doing today. So if that's the show you want to hear, uh, sit down, get comfortable, and uh, get ready to push play on this thing. So here we go. This is episode number 193 of Chunky Glasses, the podcast. We're sitting down with the uh, the amazing... Robert Ellis. Okay. It comes here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Merely a two-word review, just a shit sandwich. I will roll the record up and then ask me. That right there is a logical fallacy. Literally anything. 
What do you normally do? Um, I don't know. I was thinking uh, this one, since uh, you just came from the Tiny Desk, we're going to test out the uh, concept of a Tiny Desk after show. Oh, cool. So it's like Talking Dead, but like, sure. how was the desk? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I, um, I'd never done it, and everybody was super nice. It was a lot smaller than I thought it would be. Right. <laughs> Very... Yeah, well, it is. It's, it's, <laughs> it's tiny. I was I was joking with Kelly. I was like, "Who is Tony?" I thought what, Tony's desk concert. Who? who? Oh, can I curse? What's yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah, awesome. Um, well, yeah. Like, this Tony desk. Who is Tony? Yeah, <laughs> that's Tony desk. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good it, man. It's a, it's a cool little space, though. Yeah. Uh, it's you know it was back at the old place. It was a little more uh, hectic, but now they've got it. It's nice and open. It's uh, it's a weird little actual venue ish type of thing. Yeah, I'm not certain. It's it's just so hard to know with those things. We play a lot of like, well, like we we do a lot of improvisation. Yeah. In our shows. Yeah. And uh, because of that, I think my barometer for what is a mistake and what's not right. is it's kind of fucked up. Like, right. I you know, like, <laughs> right, we, right, we right. played a tune, and of course we play it differently every single time we play it, because yeah. there's heavy on the improv side, and there was a couple things where I was like, is that a clam? I don't know if that was a clam. Um, <laughs> and nobody seemed to notice, but I always yeah. wonder if I'm going to listen back and be like, oh, that was weird. That was a weird choice in that moment. Well, because you know? it's, it's also like a weird audience that you're playing to and getting, like, I know Ann Powers is a really good, uh, she, she's a big fan of yours and, like, pushing your stuff, and, and you know, the NPR audience is... Maybe a little more enlightened, but a lot of times they like their stuff. This, yeah. is, this is what it is, and and what you do definitely is not. It's hard to know, you know? It's like I just never know what sounds crazy to people. Like There are times where we, we do a lot of free improv in our band set. Yeah. That it's like anywhere from ambient, spacey, to like <laughs> brutal noise, you know, like <laughs> depending on what mood we're in. And there are times where we'll play something. On, that, on couple skate? Yeah, I mean, yeah, or like on any tune. Like a yeah. lot of our transitions and like, you know, mid middle solo sections, middle eight sections will be like whatever they want to be. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that means like breaking time completely. And I'm always just so amazed, like from show to show, people see that stuff so differently. Yeah. You know, sometimes people are like, it was like the Grateful Dead up there. And yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. I guess that's like kind of in line. And then other times people are like, you guys must listen to like Ornette Coleman and Eric Dolphy. Right, right, right. And then right. other times they're just like, I love that spooky stuff. You know, like... <laughs> It's just like it could be anything, right? Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you know, uh, are you a Dead fan? I really like the Dead. It, I've never gotten obsessively into right. them. You know, have you dug into like the uh, the live recordings a good bit? Not a ton. You know, I I re really didn't ever listen to them as a kid, and only right. as an adult. Like I heard some songs, you know, recently. I was like, that's awesome. I really like yeah. this. Sort of like without any of the. Uh, the context of what people like about them. You know, I, like, I think that's a good way to get into them because I think if you go back and look at like who was writing for them, like John Perry Barlow, Robert Hunter. Yeah. I mean, these people are amazing writers. The songs. And, and, and the musicians themselves were all amazing. Uh, although I'm not a Phil Lesh fan, but, the, but that's neither here yeah. nor there. But that's uh, a good way to get into them because you get the songs first instead of just the like, I saw a 40-minute version of uh, Sugar yeah. Magnolia. And, and if, if that doesn't click with you, yeah. you're never going back to that band. Well, that's sometimes how I wonder if, if our shows are going to be perceived. Because, yeah, I mean, having no context about the dead, I just am like, oh, these songs are beautiful. Yeah. I mean, they're hits. Like, yeah. like Touch of Grey is a... Is a hit. It's an amazing song. Yeah. Like, and I've had to play it on this uh, tribute show thing that we did recently. Yeah. 
And working out the changes to it, I was like, this is fucking cool. Yeah. Like, it's a cool song with a great melodies and great lyrics. And that's not what, when people say, I love the dead, uh-huh. they never say, like, the songs are great. You know, uh-huh. like, that's you just... Know, no, they don't. They don't. Very Well, it's weird. Musicians do, I think. Yeah. I, I know this Day of the Dead compilation. We had uh, Phil Cook down here a few, uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, so that's coming out. And all those guys were just stoked to, like, play the songs. Yeah. I mean, he but now he got to do Black Money River with uh, Bruce Hornsby, which was his oh, childhood cool. year. So he's just like, yeah, I mean, I spent the day with Bruce Hornsby and that didn't suck. Oh, that's awesome. Um, you know, it's it, it's funny. I was in high school when uh, Touch of Grey hit. And you want to talk about something like fracturing a scene? Yeah. Because all of a sudden it was on MTV, which oh. is like, the fuck are you even talking about? The video is so good. Yeah, the video is so good. Awesome. But, but like, that's how I got into that stuff was they released an album, uh, Live Without a Net. Yeah. And it has Branford Marcellus on it. Oh, that's and, awesome. And, and like, how how can you not like dig that? It's yeah. like, you know, and that was a gateway for a lot of people. But then there were the people that were in it a little older who were mm-hmm. like, yeah, fuck you. You don't, what are you thinking about this? I guess that's just the way it is with everybody. I mean, any, any artist that I like at some point in their career has alienated everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's part of why I think I'm drawn to them is because they do different things and they have sort of a big dynamic range of what it is that they are. Yeah. I mean, like, everybody loves Joni Mitchell, but, like, Hajira was not a big-selling no. <laughs> album, you know? No. And it's one of my favorite records. It's still not. I mean, it's, no. I mean, Difficult Listens, I think, are uh, are better yeah. for just the cultural, like, universe. Yeah. Um, but getting them in people's ears, is that's that's the trick. Yeah, uh, which I like a lot of what you're doing here because like not like so I I went through your whole discography today. Okay, and I was cool. like, all right, this guy starts off a little country. Yeah, I can see that, but I can hear a little bit of the you know getting out there. Uh, the next album, uh, Lights from the Chemical Factory, it's a little more out there. You know, throwing some stuff. Uh, your new album is self titled. Yeah, it's coming out when June. June second. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is like I I don't even know how to describe it. Man, like thank and that's you. a good thing. It is. That's it great. is because at one moment it can be this like really crafted like almost a pop song yeah and all of a sudden it turns into jazz and all of a sudden it turns into a little prog rock and it does all these like things over this course of what like I think it's like 10 songs 11 songs yeah and uh when has that have you been moving towards that uh because I've read interviews with you where you you've said like yeah this is a lot of them started out like, yeah, most country guys don't like jazz. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, like I think context is really important. With Photographs, which is the uh, two records ago record, that you, the the first one yeah. uh, that's out. It was my second record, but it was the first like major release. Mm-hmm. Um, I made that record to be a concept record. In, like, in my mind, conceptually, it was like um, meant to be sort of like phases and stages, Willie Nelson, like sure. that record is set up in two distinct sides that are um, the A side of the record is about the woman's perspective of a divorce and the B side is about the man's perspective. Yeah. And I was really like kind of blown away that by that concept and thought I want to make an A side and a B side that are stylistically juxtaposed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the B side was meant to be, it was intentionally derivative derivative, and right. intentionally like straight country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried to say that as much as I could, but um, there's something that people distrust about the idea that you aren't what, like, like the idea that you consciously would be country is yeah. offensive to someone. 
Yeah. You know, like they just want you to just, that's just who you are and that's just what you do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, and I think that it was just very difficult to overcome because I, at the time we were still, I mean, we all play jazz and we all, yeah, I write songs that are harmonically not really straight country. Right. You right. Know? Right. And, um, but that that was just lost on a lot of people, I think. Yeah, I mean, but you're using the idiom of it, like very, yeah, very, like, uh, a lot of what like Sturgill Simpson yeah. is doing. Um, uh, he might have gone too far this time, but that's <laughs> under here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's a little out there. Now, you you were down in uh, Houston or Austin? Um, I'm from I'm from south of Houston, okay. like a little town, and I lived in Houston proper for five years, and then moved to Austin for a year, moved to Nashville for a year, and then for the last two years, I've been. Homeless, just wandering around, yeah, touring. happily, happily, um, not not like um, you know, drinking forties of malt liquor in a yeah, dumpster, yeah, yeah, homeless. Yeah, yeah, but like, yeah. I've been doing it in a, in a nice way, but right, right. When when you made the move to Nashville, uh, I mean, that's a town that is not known for uh, idiosyncratic stuff, and like, there's no way you can't hear your stuff and think, oh, this guy might have a few idiosyncrasies. Yeah, like what what was driving that that to to put yourself in that environment. Man, I moved there for geographical reasons. Really, I mean, like, I had some friends there. I wanted to get out of Texas. I wanted to be central, and I wanted to be in a place that I could afford. Yeah. Um, and I was—I lived there for a year. That year, I toured three hundred days. So, <laughs> so you didn't really live. I there. I didn't really live there. Yeah. Um, there was nothing. Uh, there's there's no like spiritual reasons uh, or musical reasons. No, there's no, it was just like, yeah, this seems, seems I mean, okay. at the same time I moved there, um, Johnny Fritz lived there. Corey yeah. Chisel lived there. John McCauley had just moved there. Yeah. Like, a bunch of my friends were all going there, and not for any reason that had anything to do with what Nashville represents. Right. We just all were like, this is a cheap place to live. We can all hang here and have yeah. houses. Um, and... You know, I um I got sick of it and I moved somewhere else. But, yeah. But you'd be really surprised at the uh the amount of times I have to talk about what Nashville represents. You know, oh, yeah? in terms of like yeah. in terms of music and like what did Nashville mean to you? And and I've used to I used to read press stuff a lot more than I right. do now. Now I don't really ever look at it. But yeah, there were a couple probably things. Probably a good choice. Yeah, it's just all ugly. Um, <laughs> even if it's good, it's it's bad for you. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like. But there were a couple of things that I read that were like sort of analysis of like what the move to Nashville meant for why the Chemical Plant record sounded the way it did. But which well, it's funny because all the guys playing on it were from Houston. Yeah, and they flew up to make the record. Right. You know, there there was nothing distinct, and most of those songs were written in the Hill Country when I lived outside of Austin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's there was nothing really Nashville about it, but. Everybody wants to contextualize music in some way, and I think geography is a really tempting way to do that. Um, sure, it helps. I mean, because, you know, Austin is the uh, sort of Willie Nelson, Luchenbach mm-hmm. scene, like that honky-tonk stuff. Uh, you got your Dale Watson down there. Yep. And, and, uh, but in Nashville, yeah. you uh, And I think even now, um, about the time when like you were going there and like John was going there and people like that, uh, you know, it was starting to come up. We went last year and, yeah. and visited, and it was, it was fantastic we were in east nashville most of the time but then hit uh the broadway yeah and i was just like yeah i, I see how this functions a little bit it's fun it yeah it, i like it, being it's there. fun it's uh it is i think there's opportunities that you don't have in other towns oh yeah but at the same time you know here <laughs> we can put together like a smaller band like uh you know triple bill somewhere that's that's, that's getting somewhere yeah you know 
there you walk up like even just by Robert's Western World and they've got like from 10 a.m. Yeah. to 10 p.m. booked yeah. of people you've never heard of. It's in a way super saturated and Austin can be the same way. Yeah. When I was first starting out in Houston, still living there, everybody that you tell that you live in Houston, including Houstonians, be like, why don't you move to Austin? Yeah. And it just, it's kind of counterintuitive to me. Like the place where everyone is making music constantly, I don't understand how you can really um, make an impression in, the, you know, like, and also what, what I was trying to do is not really um, focused on where I was living either. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking like, what's a good home base? Where's a place that I can make music and make money playing shows yeah. and tour from? And Austin wasn't really that, you know, but everybody go, like New Orleans and then... I mean, from Houston? Yeah. Yeah, we would do like first, you know, started out doing like little Texas runs and we yeah. would play Austin, over... Dallas, San Antonio, New Orleans. Um, and it's, you know, it's... But it's... if you want to do East Coast. I, I'm yeah. friends with some guys down there. Uh, did you know the band 100 Visions? No. Down there, uh, Ben, I forget, um, Ben and Eric are in it now. Um, they're really good. They're fantastic. Uh, but... Uh, they are sort of stuck in a holding pattern because they can't, they don't have the money to like tour. Yeah. They've been around and they've opened for like Ockerville River who's down there mm-hmm. and stuff, but they can only get out to the East Coast when somebody on a big tour picks them up. Yep. And, uh, which is sort of crazy. That can be challenging. Um, but there's not really a good answer. I mean, Nashville was really nice because you can within a couple hours get to so many major cities, yep. you know, in so many directions, but like, Nashville to the West Coast is pretty hard. You know, you live in New York City, you could play so much just around mm-hmm. the New York area and, you know, make a huge impression. But touring from New York is a big pain. Yeah. You know, and like, not to mention like having a practice space there and having your van parked somewhere and like, yeah. you know, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. like, every city presents its own logistical issues. Um, luckily, we're in a place now where like, doesn't really matter. No. You know, when I've been getting off the road, I'll go wherever I want. Right now, I'm having fun being in Austin. So yeah. when this little run is over, I'm going to fly to Austin for a couple of days. Nice. And then, um, but that's been kind of anywhere. Last time I toured Australia, I just was like, I'm going to stay in Byron Bay for an extra two weeks. Yeah. You know, like it's, yeah. it's great. Um, time off really is becoming time off in a way. Like, that's good. Do you, nice. I mean, do you actually sit down and like rest and just, just turn everything off? Or do you, uh, how, like, how do you, how do you write essentially? I can't really turn everything off. I am, uh, I have crippling anxiety. Right. <laughs> so like it's welcome to the club. Yeah. It's, um, so the only way that I know how to combat that is through moderate exercise, um, meditating, and staying so busy that yeah. I've got no time to be anxious. <laughs> I, I've, not, I've noticed the busy has helped with mine, but I recently just started taking uh, some medication for it. I got because it, it was just like, fuck this. This shouldn't be that hard. And then I sucks. went into the doctor, and they were like. You're right. It shouldn't be that hard. I'm like, thank you. I got prescribed something about a month ago. I, I see a therapist too, uh-huh. uh, which really helps. And he prescribed me something and I haven't taken it because around the same time I was like, okay, this sucks. But if I do these things, I find that it's manageable. And mm-hmm. I've been running every morning. Yeah. I don't run that much, probably 15 minutes. The, the rest of the day, I'm fine. Yeah. just It's, it's just, amazing. It's getting something like set yeah. in there. And then once it's set, you're like, I mean, for me, I almost get like too hyper. Yeah, and that's the, these meds are hilarious because uh, my lady was just like, "Wait a minute, you're focused now, and you're hyper, and now you're being productive." I mean, you're like you're like the fourth person we've had down here this week, and I'm just like, "Whatever, man, just come on, yeah, come through." Oh, I Let's love go. it, and it's not manic. 
Like, because that'd be yeah, weird. Yeah. But it, it's just like, oh, feel good. I don't have time. Uh, when I don't have time, when I've got a bunch of stuff going on, yeah. I don't have time to really think about the things that give me anxiety, which ultimately are huge existential problems. Sure. You know, like, yeah. like they, they manifest in these surface sort of silly things, like a phone call I get where I don't recognize the number, and right. I play through all of the things it could be. Absolutely. But if I really trace logically where that's coming from, yep. it has to do with, you know, like fear of death or, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, really. No, yeah, yeah. It's, huge it's, all, it's all irrational. It's crazy. And, it, and you're just like, well, this doesn't make any sense. And I know, like, I, I mean, I've, I've been dealing with this for probably like 15 years. It's like, I know now. Up here, I'm like, shit, man. I know this isn't real. Yeah, I, I just know it. Yeah, and I can't. And my body's like, ha, ha, fuck you. Yeah, fuck you, which is crazy. But, it's uh, it sucks. I never dealt with it as a kid. Um, and it just a part of it is not having a home. Having like, if you do go to therapy, one of the first things that they tell everybody is you need to have some things that are constant. You yeah. know, a schedule. You need to have some things that you can count on. And my life hasn't. Um, just by virtue of traveling all the time, I haven't been able to have that. Right. Um, so I've had to kind of create that, like running in the morning, no matter where we are. If we're at a hotel, just I can do that. Get up, you know. Down. And that's, that's just good tour health too. Yeah, it is. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like I had some friends uh, that did. I don't think they did three hundred dates, but close to it. And uh, you know, I asked them like, "So how do you do this?" Like, uh, we go to sleep now. Yeah, like, totally. Like, first year we were like, "This is awesome," and then it's like. It broke us, and uh, so now we just go to sleep. Well, my my healthy habits are in direct competition with some other screw that's loose in my brain right. that has to do with staying up and partying yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, so I will get really drunk and wake up hungover and jog, which I know is crazy, but yeah. it's a thing that... Yeah, it's, a, it's a hangover helper, man. Yeah, I want to yeah, do both. <laughs> when So what in the... Is it is it the writing or actually playing an instrument uh, that actually helps out on that front? Well, it's... They're both to me are just functions of like working on the craft and staying busy and um and as far as the writing goes, like when I'm writing, when I have decided I want to I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing. Like I go through phases where I'm practicing yeah. and I'm transcribing solos or I'm trying to just go through this one guitar player and, and learn everything I can about his style. And when I'm in that um in that mindset I try not to fracture my time and right. I and I don't really write and I don't worry about it. Yeah. But then when I go through writing periods, I wake up every single morning and I journal every morning. Nice. I go have coffee and I journal and this will last, you know, as long as it lasts, as long as I want to do it. And um and I just focus on it in a really dedicated way. And whatever I'm doing, whether it's writing or practicing or producing or any of that stuff, mm-hmm. I just feel like I've got to just realize that I it needs my total focus and right. then 4 months from now when I want to do the next thing, that's when I'll focus on that. Okay. Um, and not kind of divide it. Um, I think I used to be more split because I want to do so many things. Um, but the only time that right. I feel like I'm getting anything really accomplished is when I'm doing the one, the thing right in front of you. Do you feel me. okay once you've got the thing done? Oh, it's great. Like when you finished this album, you were like, yes. It was, well, I just moved on to the next thing. Yeah. You know, as soon as the album was done, I started literally. The day that the album was done, the next day I started working on a different record. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just... Well, I mean, I think that's so, especially with, like, the internet and how quick stuff moves. You sort of have to do that. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I don't even know if it's a sales thing because I don't think there's any more, like... Nobody's going to be, like, sticks. Again, yeah. Or foreigner, you know? Yeah. That's not going to happen. But, like, if you stay in uh, 
keep producing music. We've we've talked a lot about uh, Jason Isbell. Yeah, and he's slowed up a little, but uh, he put out his last album pretty quick after the the one before, and I like Southeastern a lot better. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter because I'm like, you know what? This guy's going to keep producing. I have faith in that. I don't yeah. have. I don't think that he's going to be like. Maybe I'll take 10, 10 years for an album like Guns N' Roses or something. Like, yeah, another one or two years, it'll be another thing. And we can check back in and we say, all right, cool. Yeah, and with people like him and talking about Joni Mitchell earlier and yeah. like career artists, I don't think that you, I at least don't scrutinize their records in the same way I do. Um, I don't know who's a good example, but like, you know, Joni Mitchell, like I might not like Don Juan's the Don Juan's mm-hmm. daughter as much as I like Kajira, yeah. but I just look at it as a piece of this greater narrative that she's made of her career. Right. And I like everything she's done in that regard. It's, I, I think, at least for me, it's if, if an artist can show you a truth in themselves, yeah. which hilariously, like this new Beyonce album, yeah, I like that, I like totally, I'd never been a Beyonce fan. I'm like, all right, I get you girl. Cool. I get you. And, but if they can do that, then you're that then you're in. Yeah, and that's how like people become fans, like because you can because I can trust that like I can touch whatever mood I'm in. You know, yeah. I was playing Steely Dan before you guys got there, yeah. and I've been a, yeah. And but it, you go through phases. Like sometimes uh, I was listening, I was listening to Everything Must Go, like yeah. la- Latter Day Steely Dan. Yeah, when that came out, I was like, no, no yeah, it's just, and you just you sort of okay. I get it, guys. I see you, and I'm like, I'm good with this. I would rather one of my favorite artists make a bad record that was honest than right. them make a quote unquote good record that yeah. isn't like. I mean, Randy Newman's records in the '80s, like Trouble in Paradise, yeah, yeah. sounds insane. Yeah, and I love it. And so many people are like, I just don't like the '80s production. To me, it's the most honest like picture of what must have been happening to him right there. Right. You know, and like, I'm just so thankful for it. I listen to other records of his more probably, but I'm so glad that record exists. Right. Because sometimes you're just in the mood for like coked out treble. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That's what it sounds like. like, Sounds like a coked out. That's really fucking intense. It sounds crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, uh, I mean, do you consider yourself that, that you're just basically creating this body of, of work and you're just going to keep going like as a career musician? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that I have an alternative. I doubt that anything I'm going to do ever is going to lead to some sort of huge hit that I have to keep, um, you know, playing to. Yeah. Like, I think that people get in these weird cycles where they do something really big and significant, and then they feel like they have to keep recreating that. It's like a feedback loop. Yeah, That's why absolutely. I don't read press. It's just like I don't ever want that to get in my head, I think. I'm lucky that well, my, and that's the worst thing for anxiety too. Oh, it's awful. That's what anxiety is. Yeah, like feeling like the same things keep happening yep. over and over, mm-hmm. and you don't know how to change them. You know, so I don't want to do that for personal reasons, but um, but I also don't think that my writing is ever really going to lead to that. I think that my fans are hopefully going to be people that just want to hear whatever I'm doing at that yeah. moment. You know, um, I, Richard Thompson is another good example of like. Yeah. He's got so many great songs, so many great albums, and his show is whatever he wants it to be from night to night. Uh-huh. And people just want to hear him do Richard Thompson, you know? I saw him for the first time at Austin Study Limits back in uh, 2007. He's my hero. And, uh, yeah, I can tell. So good. I, I can tell. And I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of, like, Fairport Convention. Yeah. But as a guitar player, I'm just like, fuck. It's insane. Sort of with some of the shit that you're doing, I was just listening to it, I'm like, Okay, I like this. Awesome. This, this guy has fucking like studied this shit. When when did you uh, pick up an instrument? 
I was a baby. I was a kid. Yeah. My mother's a piano teacher, and my uncle's like a flat-picking guitar player. Yeah. Um, so I grew up kind of in bluegrass, and uh, my mother played jazz and listened to jazz. So like from a super early age, all that stuff was um, was there. And then I, you know, also grew up in the age of the internet and the age of CD clubs and like yeah. pop music. So like I had, I just really had everything, and I was in a household that was not dogmatic about what they listen to. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, I loved Doc Watson and I loved John Prine at an early age, but I also loved, I had like a Duke Ellington big band tape yeah. that I thought was super cool when I was yeah. like in elementary school. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it was just encouraged. I didn't really know any different because my mom said it was cool. So I thought it was great. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, the more like the weirder stuff like that, like it, I think in our house I had the, uh, I was a big John Williams fan. Like the composer, mm-hmm. so I had like the Empire Strikes Back soundtrack. It was an cool. accident. That's it was, spo- it was supposed to have. It's actually sitting right over there. Oh, that's awesome! It was supposed to be the storybook record because I yeah. was like, "Fuck yeah, Star Wars, man!" And it was not. And it like, and all of a sudden I was like, "What is all this?" Because I've been hearing essentially like ass rock on the radio. This is yeah. like eighty two, eighty three, just coming out, of the, and and then all of a sudden I was like, "What? Yeah, <laughs> like this is amazing." But then you got into stuff like uh, I remember like Dolly Parton ninety five, yeah. not even good Dolly Parton. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So uh, and guitar is your main instrument. Yeah, I play piano a lot too now. Yeah, um, kind of everything. But um, guitar was the thing that I focused most on. Um, but I just to speak to what we we're just talking about, I do think it's really interesting. Kids don't care. Kids have no criteria yeah. for what it is that they listen to. When I was a kid, my grandfather had a little record player, and he probably had like four records. And I just thought the record player was so cool. Mm-hmm. Ray Stevens was one of the records he has. <laughs> you know, like yeah. The Streak and like yeah. Guitar Zan. I thought that music was so cool. Yeah. And well, it is. It is awesome. But like as an adult, at least now, you're in this weird thing where it's like, you're supposed to select, you know, on your Pandora station what types of music you like. You know, yeah. and you're supposed to have sort of this catered experience and curated experience at all times that fits in with your preconceived taste mm-hmm. and what you've decided that you listen to. Yeah. And as a kid, you don't do that. And I really, I don't, I would love to. <laughs> What's, the, I, I'm trying to remember the number, but they said after a certain age, it might be 30, uh, it might be 40, that people don't necessarily explore art in general. Yeah. They're locked in. They're like, this is what I want and this is what I'm going to get, which is. Which is a damn shame because you know that's why that's how you get like the stereotype of the old guy be like get off my lawn you know yeah. kids you know because you know to them you can look back and be like nothing is better than the Beatles or nothing yeah. is better than that and that's a bad example because look nothing is better than the Beatles yeah but but uh, you know but if you look into uh, I, I've never been like a big jazz head yeah and I just started getting into it last year oh man and then that weirdly drove me back into hip-hop yeah and so i missed when hip-hop when i was a kid was like africa bambata uh just run dmc the walk this way thing Mm -hmm. it was just coming up out of new york uh my lady though she's a little younger and so she got all the like the 90s stuff yeah but it just didn't hit and so now i'm going back and like rediscovering this stuff and i'm like this is all fucking amazing and then you look at like tossle like prince was doing in yeah like at that time you know, having like rappers on his album when people in, I mean, uh, we were talking about that uh, on a recent podcast. And um, I said, basically 
you know, he has rappers on this album and it was introducing you to the mainstream because what you don't realize is that down south, maybe like people didn't hear rap. Yeah. There was no black radio. Yeah. But they played Prince. They played Prince and Michael Jackson. Yeah. And and that's as late as like Diamond and Pearls. Yeah, that's crazy. It is crazy. It's insane. Right? But people heard it and then all of a sudden, hey, this is okay. But yeah, if you have that mindset of of exploration and, um, and just curiosity, there's no limit. Like get, I'm so excited that you're getting into jazz because it's, yeah. it is a lifetime. To me, it just never stops surprising and oh, yeah. interesting me. And the more I read about it, like I just read that Coltrane biography. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I've never been like a huge Coltrane fan. I really like him and appreciate Coltrane's him. Coltrane's weird. Yeah, it's, I appreciate him, but he's like a little abrasive sometimes. Man, I went after reading this biography. It's it's not a um, what is it called um. It's called Coltrane. Um, it's not like a historical biography of right. his life. It's more of a musical analysis of, of what he did and what it meant at different po- points in his career. Sure. So as I was reading it, like I was reading it at night when I'd go to bed and I'd stop reading on whatever recording he was talking about and I'd listen to the recording. Oh, that's And badass. sort of like just yeah. try to contextualize everything that was happening at the time. And like, man, after that, I'm so into him. Like kind of understanding what he was doing and where where it came from like listening to those early recordings yeah. of him like guesting on another person's album and then all the way up through live at the village vanguard like you can hear him like developing his personality right. in this distinct unique way that nobody else has done and i don't know it's just if you if you have that desire it's always there like there's just so much information yeah and i'm i look forward to being you know 70 years old and still being able and to, still like digging into that i mean yeah. i i think honestly that is you know outside of blues that is the true like american music and it, and it's the true like innovation in american music yeah but, uh you know like i i i really have been getting into grant green yeah and as a result like i'm like you know i i played guitar for like 35 30 years I like I should probably take some more lessons. Like I took like I took like a week lessons, <laughs> but I'm like awesome. I'm like yeah because I try to like emulate it. I'm like I can't do that. Why can't I do that? I've been playing this fucking thing for three decades, and yeah. I can't do that little simple thing that he's yeah. doing. That should never stop. I still take lessons. Yeah, I still I teach lessons and I take lessons. Yeah, and so does Kelly, my guitar player, who is, I mean, I think he's one of the best guitar players yeah. on the planet. He's insane, and he's still like. I take lessons from this guy, Red Volkart, who's amazing. And Kelly takes lessons. That name, and, <laughs> and Kelly takes lessons from Clint Strong. Do you know who Clint yes, Strong is? Yes. I mean, like, what the? There's what there's, the fuck? There's never a point though in your life where you should stop learning. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and it's again talking about anxiety. That's just the only way I know how to keep feeling interested in life and to keep. You know? Yeah, yeah. It was weird though because it never, it just never occurred to me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, yeah, I'll just, I'll, you know, pick stuff up and I'll be like, do whatever. I got a good ear, and that's basically, yeah. Uh, and and I was like, yeah, but what if just somebody like I could sit down and be, like, hey, show me. Yeah, it's great. Like it's so easy. Why and, didn't I think of that before? And you get to a point where like, man, like some of the stuff that Red showed me is not. It's not here. It's not in the guitar. Yeah. You know, it's not like playing. It's conceptual. Like, 
how are you thinking about these changes? Yeah. You know, and just talking about stuff like that, I'm like, boom. I just learned like in five minutes, well, I just learned so much. Right. And he's, you know, ex- like, he's exceptional. He's like, incredible. Ac- across the board. Like it's, that guy it's uh, insane. is actually, because uh, I've listened to him for a good long while. He did a, uh, a walking the floor with uh, Chris Shifflett from the Foo Fighters. Awesome. And just, just hearing him talk about like playing guitar, like you said, it's just like, uh, yeah, I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. I am so doing this <laughs> wrong, man. It's like so smart. It's like redneck genius. It's yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, well, I don't even think it's redneck. If you look at like uh, all the people that he's played with. Yeah. Like, I think it's just like, I, I don't know. You know him. I don't. But the impression I got was that basically this is just sort of a veneer. Like, yeah, this is how he talks. Inside, it is literally just a genius. He's has soaked up all this stuff and is yeah. able and is able to put it back out. That's the key. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and if you look at like a lot of his albums out there, you know, some of them are just like the cheesy stuff like Danny Gatton albums yeah. that nobody ever, they're like the Telecasters. Th-, and it's like nobody's going to necessarily just find that. Yeah. But it's out there, and you listen to it, and you're like, "Why hasn't anybody found this shit?" Because yeah, nobody can play guitar this good. No. I took some friends from New York when we were in Austin to see Haybill play, which is his yeah, band there, yeah. and they've been so sweet That's... to me. I'm like, they're my favorite band. Yeah, like, I'm since I was for years now. Me and Kelly have been going and watching them and just nerding out over Red. Yeah, and then at some point they became friends, and they started asking me to go sit in and play with them. Yeah. And I was like, yes, of course, but also extremely nervous, right. you know, like, because everyone in that band is the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been going and playing with them and um, and just learning so much and taking this style that is really, like, nobody plays more, like, honky-tonk, real country music in a in a more accurate way than them. Yeah. But yet there's so much freedom within that. Like, I think that they're playing really high concept, crazy stuff over this, like, oh, they are. R- really standard genre, you know? They are. Well, I mean, and that's also a nice little trick that you can get people yes. who who are complete, like, they're they're dialed into the honky tonks. So they're going to go see them. They're going to listen to their records and stuff. And all of a sudden, yeah. like, you have this jazz shit. Yeah, That's, totally. like, buried in it. And, and it's like... Well, that's cool. Oh, what I was saying, I took some friends from New York yeah. to go see them on a Sunday, and they literally were just standing there with their mouth open. And this this one friend of mine was just like, "I didn't think that you could see something like this performed live." Like, yeah. and she's a musician, but she was just like, "I just thought that this level of perfection was not possible in a yeah. live way." And I was like, "Isn't it crazy? <laughs> it's right. just it's it's shocking." Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for like, sure. So obviously this is this has impacted your live shows. Oh yeah, I mean we all are hugely influenced by that whole scene. I mean, um, were you all, were you always though like let's just like you know kick it out, let it, let it go, or was it like just hanging out with him? Um, no, we've always been really like passionate about relying heavily on improvisation mm-hmm. and and trying to push things constantly, and um, while still like you said using that little trick of hoping that people leave and just like really like the songs yeah. and maybe the more musically minded people respond to the stuff that we're trying to do. But, but we don't, I, I really am careful to hope that that doesn't like supersede the songs. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so it's like, so you become a jam band. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've, that's of course sort of been the point from the beginning is we always were kind of like, Oh, we need to make this like fun for us. I definitely want to be something that I would want to listen to. Sure. Sure. Know? Are you guys interested ever in like making a straight like jazz album? I don't know. I've had this pipe dream for the last year, 
and I've been working towards that. I'm not ready yet, but I've been going through and trying to learn as many standards mm-hmm. as I can, like singing, which I've never really done before. Like I, I've always played, um, yeah. but I, I recently have gotten like obsessive about Chet Baker and just gone through and like, oh, I'm going to learn everything about his phrasing, try to learn all his solos, like to sing. Yeah. yeah. And um, my hope is that at some point um, I could do a record of those tunes. And I actually arranged, I've got maybe like five or six of these tunes arranged. Uh-huh. Um, they are tunes that Chet Baker maybe made famous that I've arranged in the style of Chet Atkins. And I want to do a record oh, called Chet Plays Chet. That's all like Chet Atkins, <laughs> Travis Pitt guitar, yeah. but all Chet Baker tunes. Right, right. That'd be amazing. Um, it's, but um, it's, a, it's really frustrating. Those tunes are not harmonically meant for that style. Right. Because that style uses a lot of open strings. Yeah. And you'll work out the whole tune, and then you'll get to the bridge, and you'll be like, fuck, it's in the wrong key. Like, there's <laughs> yeah. no way yeah. physically to do this melody with this bass line. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then you have to go back yep. to the drawing board. Yeah, that's another great, like, those two. Like, uh, yeah. It's just, just like, just mind-blowing shit that is, leans, I mean, look, Grant Green is more on the pop end of the jazz thing. Like, uh, what is it, uh? It's mellow something. It's like mellow master, and it, like he covers the Beatles on it. Yeah, it's just like, all right, <laughs> I feel that. Uh, when yeah. you now on, on the new record, you know, like I was saying before, is there's a lot of uh, you get out there a few times, but you also like if if you think about like the song California, yeah, that's a motherfucker of a song. Thank you. Like that that chorus that to me is like somebody, and that's actually why I was like, I'm surprised that you don't live in Nashville because like if if I'm guessing what you learned there. Yeah. I'm like, oh, so this tightened up like the storytelling. The storytelling was great on the other two, but this is like, this is almost pop storytelling. It's very direct. Um, and that was one thing that I, in that song, I was like, oh, this shouldn't be, you know, just writing it. And most of it was not calculated. It was just like the way it came out. But I, I was really trying to figure out how to tell that story in the least amount of words and not make it super complicated. And, um, you know, just like focus on that sentiment um, and focus on that chorus, like really yeah. popping. And yeah, I think of it as a pop song, Yeah. you know, really. But I had a friend recently in New York who was like, I told him that. And he was like, it sounds like a country song, which I, I just am perplexed I... by what people hear. That's weird. Like, yeah. I, I mean, if, if I had, and I was trying to categorize it. That's one thing I really enjoy about like all three albums is like, I can't. Thank and you. I, and I don't. And I'm just like, okay, I'm not going to. That's like, awesome. if, if I can't get it on like two tries, fuck it. Um, but if I had to, like, that's something like, uh, Adam Duritz would do, like Counting Crows. I don't, yeah, I'm not really familiar with his, like, yeah. You know, and, and it just, it's just huge. Thank (laughs) you. You hear it and you instantly relate to it and, you know, you're going to have like, somebody could be a guy or girl, like hear this and like sing it. They just broke up with somebody and, you know, it's just, and it's going to like deeply affect them. Man, I really hope so. I yeah. really appreciate that. I mean, that with this album, that is one thing that I that I wanted more than some of the other ones was just to try and and I I don't think it makes it less um, you know important or anything, but just try to be more direct, be more concise with yeah. my writing, and just get rid of clutter. You know, like there's nothing wrong with a t- two and a half minute song. No, you know, there's nothing wrong with a three minute song. And um, what's amazing when artists like discover that yeah you i mean <laughs> i have a friend uh, or chad clark he's in beauty pillar on here if you haven't heard him i highly suggest cool. check it out he's doing their second album it's a follow-up to the one last year that like npr is like one of their best 
of the year, and he's talking about writing songs, and he's like, shave away everything that isn't the song. Yeah, get rid of it. And and you can't immediately look at it. Like, that's hard. You have a blob, and it's like, well, what the fuck is, is this the song? Is this? But then as you start to hone in on this stuff, it's like, yeah, and you just get rid of it. And if it ends up two minutes, awesome. If it ends up 15, awesome. Yeah. Like, that's just what you have to say. Man, there was a huge issue on Chemical Plant. Not issue, but... Um... Like, Jakir King produced that record, and he's amazing. I love him. Loved working with him. Yeah. I love the way the record turned out. Um, and part of what I really loved about working with him is he put, to me, on a lot of those songs, like, this, the last song on the record is seven and a half yeah, minutes yeah. long. And he was like, man, I really, I just want to challenge you. Um, and this is another thing I respect about him. He just said, I'm not going to have any ideas about how to, but I want to challenge you try to shorten this and make it as concise as possible. And I went through yeah. probably two months of like revising, editing, like having choruses maybe that repeated, you know, changing the structure a little bit. And at the end of the process, we both sat down and I was like, I can do this. And I think it does work. Like we can make it work for mm -hmm. sure. I think that the seven minute version with no repeating words is doing what I want it to do more than any of this other stuff. And he was like, I agree. You know, like, and it's yeah. just, and sometimes that's the thing is like, if you have a lot to say, then there's not any other way around that. You know, yeah. you just, you have to do that. You yeah. Know? Well, you, you trust the audience, which is, I, yeah. I, I, is hard, I think, for a lot of artists because, I mean, look, yeah, we're in the age of like Spotify streaming music and people are like, music has no value, which is bullshit. Yeah. But yeah. it's just like, but it is, the, the realities are different and harder. Yes. And, uh, and and so it has to pop into your head at some point like well will this get me like lunch yeah tomorrow yes that that has to be a concern but i i also i'm kind of at this place now where i think that 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 sort of thinking comes after yeah in one way like if you can just do as good of a job um to make the songs good which i really think concise you know, getting your point across in as few words as possible with um, appropriate production. You know, like if you can do that and it sounds right to you, then I think people feel that and they respond to that. And then after that's done, mm -hmm. if that doesn't necessarily look like pop music looks right now, then that's when you start to figure out like, okay, how do I sell this? How do I talk about this? Um, but you get on CMT Crossroads. Come I, on, yeah. So, <laughs> shit, I'm excited to see what they say about this stuff. Uh, uh, country music? No, about. Um, I mean, CMT has been very nice to me in the past. Yeah. Um, at least they're like is online. That, you know, like. Is your main audience like more like the uh, country audience or the NPR audience or just fucking no? NPR's been great. Yeah. And that's gotten a lot of different people, but I do have a lot of rednecks, especially in the South. Really? Like straight country fans. Um, I can see that off the first album yeah. for sure, but even Chemical Plant, even Chemical, yeah, I mean, no, it's it's a great. I mean, it's Americana, yes, ish, ish, yeah, <laughs> totally, yeah, totally. Ish. Although, I mean, if you're calling jazz American music, then it is Americana. Like that is, it's American. How can it? Yeah, how can jazz not be American? Right. You know, like Americana right. music. That's well, we're thing. talking about the brand that somebody else yeah, thought yeah, of, yeah, totally, not, yeah. not the not the brand of actually what it is. Yeah, it is American, and uh, and uh, yeah. Pretty spectacular. Man, I got to just um, tell you about this. Now that you're getting deeper into jazz, there's a Twitter account that I just started following last week okay. that I'm, I love, and it's called Jazz is the Worst. Uh, <laughs> and it's, and it's, it's just, it's got to be, I don't know who did it, 
but um, Robert Glasper actually retweeted something that they, yes. that they wrote the other day, and I was just like, that's the funniest. And it's got to be some working jazz musician, because all of the tweets are like, um, you know, like basically really jaded. Um, like he'll do like a th like jazz translation. He'll be like, um, oh, the changes are easy. You'll get it. And then he'll be like, jazz translation. <laughs> I don't care if you play well on the song as long as I can rip on it. <laughs> so That's amazing. It's all like really inside jazz stuff. And he was talking about, I guess here in D.C. they did some um, jazz celebration at the White House last week. Yes. Or something. Did. Yeah. He is one of his tweets was so good. He said, um, celebrating jazz. Um, what did he say? Something about how... Um, at the last song of the night was imagined by John Lennon. Sounds about right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking you brutal, know, like, dude. It's but it it's he's, true. He's got. Uh, I've been listening to this. Uh, it comes out uh, around your album, so you guys are competing. You're competing with Robert Glasper. I he's, love he, him. He's got he's got an album with I think it's Bilal bunch of other people uh, coming out reinterpreting Miles Davis. Oh, that's awesome. It's amazing. It he's is. He's cool as fuck. Yeah. He's from Houston. Is he from Houston? Yep. Yeah. A lot of these guys, the New York scene is like, when I first moved to Houston, they were the guys that were playing there, like Chris Dave. Yeah. And Robert Glasper, and they're just like so far ahead of everybody else. Yeah. They're just really great. Yeah. Um, we're about, I guess, 45 minutes, 50 minutes. Sure. So, uh. You got to get to New York, then. I do. Yeah. We're driving tonight. I'm a little drunk now. <laughs> it's kind of nice. <laughs> you, you didn't have the uh, Icelandic Aquavit. What is no. that? Uh, I'll, I'll show you upstairs. It's like, so it's uh, it's basically the national drink of Iceland, and it's grain. Cool. But it, ta it tastes like a very nice potato. I want it. Give it to me. All right. <laughs> we, we'll look that up. Uh, thanks for making time yeah. to come by in this. Uh, come back when you're coming through. When are you? When's the tour going? Uh, the tour is in June. I think I'm here June 26th at the Hamilton. All right. Double check that date because I don't really know. Yeah. And it, we're not a facts-based podcast, so we probably yeah. shouldn't double check that. <laughs> yeah. That's, somebody <laughs> will have the date. That's a shot in the dark uh, there. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Awesome to talk to you, man. Yeah. Likewise. Thank cool. you. What am I supposed to do? Just drive around the fairgrounds another time or two And where am I gonna go When the girl behind the counter at the coffee shop Gets tired of me hanging around with nothing left to say Trying to get away I'm bored out of my mind And I've changed all the light bulbs And had this conversation about three million times or more Guess I walk around the grocery store again. Oh, this don't feel like living. It's just surviving. Mr. Robert Ellis right there for your enjoyment. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, I know I certainly did. Uh, it, it unlocked his, just having that conversation unlocked a lot about his music. Um, and, and, you know, I said that his self-titled, uh, LP out now, Robert Ellis was one of the best of 2016. Uh, I take, take this for what it's worth, but I, I've listened to it at least once a day, uh, since that conversation we just had, which was a couple months ago. Um, it, it stays in heavy rotation and every time I listen to it, uh, I go back and find new stuff in it. 
which I think is, uh, that's, that's the best art. That's the best music, uh, that it doesn't all reveal itself immediately. And it, it, it can, uh, sort of serve you for a lifetime or at least a year. Yeah. Nothing better than that. Uh, thanks again to Robert and his crew. Uh, as I mentioned, we are, uh, or he is playing here in Washington, D.C., if you're all caught up on these podcasts, on uh, 623 at the Hamilton Live. Super excited about that show because, you know, you heard us talking about what he does with uh, Music Live, and I am avoiding all YouTubes. I don't want to see it. I just want to go see them, like, essentially like jam this shit out and uh, see what happens on stage. I have a feeling it's going to be fantastic. Uh, I could almost guarantee it's going to be fantastic. So 623 at the Hamilton Live, they'll be in town playing with uh, Tom Broussard, who's opening for him, who uh, also a Tiny Desk veteran uh, and also a friend of uh, our guy Patrick, who you know you hear. He's the guy who has bad opinions about Casey Musgraves on this podcast. And uh, <laughs> sorry, Patrick, uh, but uh, yeah, he's, he's a friend of his from way back, and so uh, it, it's going to be a it's going to be a fantastic double bill. So hopefully, we'll see you at the Hamilton this Thursday, and uh, hit us up. We'll grab a beer or something. Maybe Robert will come out and grab a beer. Who knows? So we begin to wind this uh, this episode of the podcast down. Uh, we've reached the point where we like to play a little track for you, something we hope you'll like, something that we actually quite liked. Um, Sometimes it's a it's a bigger artist. Sometimes it's a super small artist. Haven't yet got around to our, our cat remixes, but uh, that's coming, people. Um, this week uh, we got one Mary Jo Matea. She is uh, from around here, the D.C. area. Uh, you might recognize her from a bunch of different bands here. We got uh, Color Palette, Dr. Robert and Penny Lane, uh, Two Dragons and, and a Cheetah. Now those are very stylistically different bands, and that happens here in D.C. People, and it happens in the music world. Um, people uh, aren't necessarily pigeonholed into what they're going to do. Um, her latest project, Four Minute Symphonies, I think is is yet another side of of what Mary Jo does. Uh, this is be best described as sort of a power pop, a little '90s leaning, a little '90s edge to it, uh, but ultimately sort of a satisfying, sort of sunny uh, hit of of rock and roll. Uh, so uh, we're going to play a track off that for you right now. The name of the track is We Were Here, uh, and it, it's, uh, man, as we roll in the summer, this is a fucking good summer song. So so here we go. Uh, Mary Jo Matea, We Were Here off of 4-Minute Symphonies. Let's get it. Yeah. 
We've all heard this tale before The ones who hold my hand The ones who understand I'm never alone with you here beside me track as we were here uh mary joe matea four minute symphonies that is uh that's a fucking heavy slice of summer right there that is drop the windows or uh you know pop the top on your sebring your cabriolet and uh and just go to fucking town um great track uh great artist and uh i'm sure you if you're here in dc you're gonna see her um, given all the bands she plays in. Also here tell that she might be uh, pretty good friends with our friend Johnny Gray, who you've heard on here, heard on here just a few weeks ago. Um, so maybe you see them play. I think they, think they make a uh, pretty good pretty good pair. What do you think? think uh, musically it'll, it'll match up a little bit? I don't know. Maybe we'll see it. Um, that is our podcast for this week. Uh, thanks again for you guys for uh, tuning in. Uh, if you enjoy this, if you listen to a few of them and you don't subscribe, go ahead and subscribe to it and go ahead and tell your friends to subscribe to it. We can't, um, you know, I've said this before, this is a pure labor of love. We cannot technically make money on this for various reasons. And uh, that's okay. It's okay. Because we get to have conversations like we just had with Robert. We get to talk early in the year. We talk like Phil Cook, talk Nick Sanborn. We talk with like people like Johnny Grave. Who's over here? Uh, talk with uh, Kenny uh, Pirog, uh, who's over here. Uh, you know, we get to we have a um, as our conversation with Johnny got cut a little bit, but uh, it's a pretty sweet gig. And uh, the more uh, of you guys that listen to it, the uh, the sweeter it gets. That's just how it works. So, iTunes, Google Play, Mixcloud, uh, Stitcher, however you want to do it, uh, listen to us. If it's uh, you know, if you hear these things, not necessarily these interview things, but, uh, you know, there are album reviews and, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I would really like to talk about rock and roll on a mic and possibly drink some beers and eat some, like, badass food. Hit me up. Yeah. Say, hey, Kevin, I might, I might be into this. Uh, so what, what can we do to work it out? And uh, Stranger Things Have Happened, for sure. Um, so that's our podcast for this week. Uh, we'll be back at the end of this week. I think it's going to be, uh, me and Paul talking about white lung, but that might change, but that's probably what you have looking forward to. And then only a few short episodes to episode 200. I can't tell you what it is right now, uh, but I promise you it's, it's going to be great. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's mind blowingly great. <laughs> that's all I can say. So it's coming just a few more weeks, people. Uh, so hang tight. Uh, get out and see some live music. Uh, and until uh, the next time we hear from you, uh, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. See you later.
<laughs> Kenobi.